Welcome to VBS. Um, no, we are thankful you're here this morning. Um, as you can see, we are all geared up for tonight. Tonight begins our VBS. We'll have VBS Sunday through Thursday, with Thursday night being our celebration. So if you didn't know that already, here's your sign. And uh, no, but we're, we're, we're really excited about that. And just be in prayer for VBS um, as we get started tonight. Um, I told Neil he, could, he couldn't have picked a better time to be gone um, than, the, than the day that VBS is starting. So, um, but for VBS, just a few things to, to, to know. One being, if you are volunteering, um, there are shirts out in the, on the welcome desk um, for you to wear however you want to, just a really normal shirt. So we would love for you to grab one of those if you signed up to get a shirt. Um, if you don't remember what size, the sizes are out there too. So I know how it is to work with students. You have to remind them what size shirt they wear. So um, we have the sizes available. And uh, But if you have not signed up for VBS, if you plan to come and want to sign up, there'll be registration happening tonight. And it's for ages three through those who just completed the sixth grade. So any of those ages are, are welcome to attend. So if you know anybody interested in VBS, that starts tonight at six o'clock. Um, and there'll be a meal available as well every night. So. Can I make a little announcement about yes. the meal? Yes, ma'am. Uh, if you're on the prep team, woo-hoo-hoo, uh, tonight's taco night, guys. Or, uh, be here at 5. Uh, I'm going to be here at 4.30 just to fire up the oven. But uh, we've got, we're going to have a good night, guys. Taco night. All right. <laughs> So we are, I'm, like I said, I'm going to talk about this later, but I'm so thankful for all of those involved in, in doing VBS and uh, leading that. So we're really excited to see what God's going to do um, this week. One thing specific, if you are planning on donating money to the, what is it called? Starting in Style, which is the, the mission for the girls and the shopping um, if you're interested in, in providing money for that, or you don't know what that is, but you're interested in what it is, uh, Miss Gina needs that money by next Sunday uh, so that they can start moving towards getting that started. So if you have uh, promised to donate and you could uh, get that money to Miss Gina Kingston as soon as possible, that would be greatly appreciated. A couple other things and then I'll be done. Um, camp is coming up soon. Um, for those of you who are going to camp, we need money turned in as soon as you can. Um, we still have tickets available if you're interested in buying tickets to support camp. Um, you could possibly win a Blackstone Grill. So um, there are tickets available. You can see me or any student who's going to camp for those. And um, other than that, if you have any questions, all of this announcements is on our, is on our website or you can come see me. Uh, but as I, as I said, please be thinking of and praying for uh, VBS as we move to that tonight. So as we prepare to worship together, uh, Jeff Rood's going to come forward and read our call to worship. Good morning. Good morning. All right, so... I'm going to be reading Romans chapter, starting at chapter 8, verses 1 through 11. And I kind of thank you, Bryson, for giving me enough notice so that I could kind of review it. Because as I've said before, I read Paul's stuff, and my mind goes, what are you talking about? But this is pretty simple uh, and cut forward. As you know, I like to read the Old Testament. One of the things that I picked up in the Old Testament was that if you are condemned to die, there was no ransom. You couldn't go up and say, hey, you're going, I'll take my brother's life. But thank, thanks to Jesus Christ, our bodies are going to die, our souls are going to die. But because of what Jesus did on the cross, this is what Paul is talking about. Paul's saying that, you know, that because we're believers in Jesus Christ, that these bodies are going to die. They're eventually going to, going to wear out. Uh, but we're going to live again. We're going to live forever in heaven with not only God, but we get to spend time with Jesus Christ. So, so let me go ahead and start. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Jesus Christ. Allow me to read that again and, and think about this. There is, there, there is therefore now, now 
meaning now and forever, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life in Jesus Christ has set you free from the law of sin and of death. For what the law could not do, weak as it is, was through the flesh God did, sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and as an offering for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh, in order that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who are according to the flesh set in their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who are according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For the mind set on the flesh is death, but the mind set on the Spirit is life and peace. Because the mind set on the flesh is hostile towards God, for it does not subject itself to the law of God, for it is not even able to do so. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. However, you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. But if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. And if Christ is in you, through the body, though the body is dead because of sin, yet the Spirit is alive because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Jesus Christ from the dead, Christ Jesus from the dead, will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who indwells in you. There it is. Just like I said, I know, like I say, Paul sometimes blows my mind, but that's it. We live in Christ. We're going to live forever, and we're going to please God, and that's our, that's our whole purpose in life is, is to please God. I know I disappoint him a lot, but it, it doesn't take away the love he has for us. So let's go, Lord, in prayer. Father, I just counted a privilege to call you Father, and I thank you for all the many blessings you've given us, and thank you for sending your Son to die on the cross, and Jesus, thank you for taking on, the, taking on sin on your body and becoming sin so that I can live forever. Just, I don't deserve what you give us and give me, but I appreciate it. Sometimes I fall short, sometimes I do good, but you love me anyway. As you be over the service today, allow the Holy Spirit speak through Neil. Allow the Holy Spirit speak through the music that Catherine's going to deliver us today. Be with us this week and send people who are lost to us so that we can witness to them and show them what true peace is. We just thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning. If you'll stand this morning, we're going to begin worship with singing There's Power in the Blood.
you'll stand, we're going to sing together, Heaven Came Down. Gracious Heavenly Father, God, may that be our prayer this morning, that um, your spirit will just fall upon us, God. Lord, during this time of worship, we pray that these songs have been music to your ears, and that it's just been um, an outcry of our heart to sing praises and worship to you, God. Lord, may we continue this time of worship as we open your word, God. May it speak clearly to us as you speak clearly through Bryson this morning, God. And may your word just be um, the light into our path, God, and may we hide its words in our hearts. Um, Lord, as we um, just continue in Galatians, God, Lord, may we leave this morning um, with a newfound understanding of your freedom and what that freedom means for us to do in terms of actions, God. Lord, we just love you and praise you and thank you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Children are going with Miss Katrina in the back for Children's Church. Well, if you have your Bibles, please turn to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5. And uh, Miss Tammy, you're already ahead of the game. I almost pulled a Neil 
because I'm going to read 1 through 15. So um, you already had that prepared. But we're going to focus this morning on verses 13 through 15. Um, verses 13 through 15. And so as we continue through our study in Galatians, whether you know it or not, you may not have paid attention so far. Um, that's okay. We're going to catch everybody up. But the, the purpose of the book of Galatians, the purpose that we've taken upon it um, as we read through it, is that it is about our freedom, the freedom that, that the believer has in Christ. And so last week, Paul, uh, Neil talked a lot about um, what that freedom means and what that freedom is. And so this week, we kind of transition and we look a little bit more directly at the reason for our freedom. The reason for our freedom. And as I thought about this uh, dynamic, I, I thought about a guy named Tim Keller. If you don't know who that is, he's a pastor um, who actually passed away last week. Um, he was a pastor in New York City. And Tim Keller wrote a, a, of the many great things he did, he wrote a little book called The New City Catechism. Now, if you don't know what a catechism is, it is an instructive guide to Christian principles or a, a learning tool. Um, they've been around for a long time. This one was written in 2012. And the one I hold in my hand is actually the kids' version. Um, it's the one that we pass out to kids who um, have questions or who uh, come to faith while at our church. But let's be honest, the kids' version is probably a little bit more my speed. Um, so this is the kids' version. As I was flipping through it, it, it it's a question and answer format. And so I just want to read two of the questions for you that I think will help us um, kind of understand what Paul's going to be speaking about this morning. So, in question 33 of the New City Catechism for Kids, it says, Should those who have faith in Christ seek their salvation through their own works or anywhere else? And the answer is no. Everything necessary to salvation is found in Christ. That has been Paul's fight this whole entire book so far, is to convince the Galatians of such. But then question 34 brings to light a whole other dynamic. It says, since we are redeemed by grace alone through Christ alone, must we still do good works and obey God's word? The answer is yes. So that our lives may show love and gratitude to God, and so that by our godly behavior, others may be one to Christ. So there is a dynamic as Christians that we must come to grips with, and it's this. In Christ, you are fully saved. In Christ, you are fully justified. He has done the work. But what have we been saved to do? As we're going to see this morning, there are those who try and abuse or misuse the freedom that Christ has given them. But for us, we want to rightly understand the reason for our freedom. So let's read together Galatians chapter 5. Verses 1 through 15. It says, It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Mark my words, I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. Again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is obligated to obey the whole law. You who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit we eagerly await by faith the righteousness for which we hope. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Verse 7, you are running a good race. Who cut in on you to keep you from obeying the truth? That kind of persuasion does not come from the one who calls you. A little yeast works through the whole batch of dough. I am confident in the Lord that you will take no other view. The one who is throwing you into confusion, whoever that may be, will have to pay the penalty. Brothers and sisters, if I am still preaching circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been abolished. As for those agitators, I wish they would go the whole way and emasculate themselves. Verse 13, this is our, where our focus begins. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. See the question that's being asked here. If I'm free, am I free to do whatever I want? 
If I'm free, I'm free to, to fall back into my individualistic sin that I've, that I've always lived in. And I, I ask the question, why is Paul answering this? I think what we're going to find is that as soon as Paul started preaching a freedom, the Judaizers, who wanted to control everyone's religious activity, probably started planting seeds of, see, Paul says you can do whatever you want. Paul's not a godly man. Paul doesn't have a godly message. And so Paul has to answer those Judaizers with 13 through 15. And he says, you were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh or to give an opportunity for the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, Watch out, or you will be destroyed by each other. And I'm going to read verse 16 as well. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. I pray that you would direct our our hearts this morning, Lord, direct our minds. Give us clarity, Lord, to follow and obey your word fully. Lord, teach us what it means to be free, truly free, and show us how we can live in this freedom um, as your children. Here, let me pray. Amen. One way that kind of keeps me on um, schedule here is, for, is to write out a main idea. And so I do that every week. So if you want to write that down, I'm going to say it now. Um, and I'll, I'll repeat it a couple of times. But the main idea to, of, of the message is Christ has set us free that we may joyfully pursue his purposes and lovingly serve his people. Christ has set us free that we may joyfully pursue his purposes and lovingly serve his people. And I feel like there's three ways in which Paul shows us these truths. And so the first way is this. Number one, we are free in Christ to flee the sinful flesh. We are free in Christ to flee the sinful flesh. If you would, look at verse 13. As Paul moves into verse 13, he immediately reminds the Galatians of what he's been reminding them of throughout the letter. And that is that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. You're going to hear this over and over and over again in different ways in Paul's message. Because he's trying to get to the point, you must find your salvation in Christ. That is the only place for it to be found. And so we get this at the very beginning of verse 13. Look at what he says. You, my brothers and sisters... We're called to be free. As I studied this week, I couldn't get past that that word called. You were called to be free. Throughout the Bible, we get the picture that it is God who calls his people to himself. If you look back at Galatians chapter 1, verses 6 and 7, this is what Paul says. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ. And are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. So what Paul is stating here is that, Christian, you have been called to freedom in Christ. And the one who called you is the one who purchased your freedom. I hope that we understand as Christians, right, that the one who came down to earth, who put on flesh, who lived a perfect life, who died the death that we deserve, who resurrected, who ascended into heaven, is the one who calls you out of darkness into marvelous light. That we understand that it is Christ who calls his people to himself. And so when when Paul tells the, the Galatians here that you've been called to be free, what he's saying is that freedom is directly connected to your salvation. In the same way that we talk about forgiveness... In the same way that we talk about acceptance and in the same way that we talk about redemption, we must include freedom in what is encompassed in the term of salvation. And for me, sometimes it's very difficult to think of freedom as something to include in my thought process of salvation. And the reason behind that is because I don't like the idea of anything enslaving me. We as people do not like to think Or to understand that we could be enslaved to anything at all. It is not a comfortable thought that there is something that binds us. There is something that keeps us from doing what we ought to do. John chapter 8 speaks of this. And I think Kyle read it last week. Jesus is speaking to these, these, these Jews 
And, they, and, and Jesus says in verse 31, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And they answered him, we are Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves of anyone. Does that sound like anybody in here? Have you ever felt that way before? I know that I have. Thinking so highly of my own personal freedom that I forget that without Christ I'm enslaved to sin. And so that's his answer. They say, how can you say that we shall be set free? And Jesus replied, very truly I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. And so the point that Jesus is making there and that Paul is making here is that all who sin are slaves to sin and all have sinned. All who sin are slaves to sin, and all have sinned. So all need what? All need salvation in Jesus. And that is something that he himself calls you to. So we see the the pattern that Paul is taking here is, remember who called you. Remember how salvation came to you. It didn't come to you through your works. It came through the work of Jesus. It's question 33. Should those who have faith try and establish their salvation by their own works. No, everything that is necessary for salvation is found in Jesus Christ, and he is the one who calls you to himself. We aren't born into this freedom. We aren't disciplined into this freedom. We aren't molded into this freedom. We are called into this freedom. And we are called by the one who holds the keys to our freedom. That's why I asked Jeff to read Romans 8 this morning. What we were unable to do, Christ did. In Matthew 11, Jesus is speaking and he, and, and he, and he, he gives these words. And they're, they're some of the most comforting words in the Bible to me. This is what he says. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened. Anybody weary and burdened? Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Aren't you tired? Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. When Paul says to the Galatians, you were called to be free, what he's saying is you are called to rest in the work of Jesus Christ. The Christian's call to freedom is a call to rest. It's the, the Christian begins the work of, of being a Christian in the resting in the work of Jesus Christ in the, in the cross. I don't have to claw my way to Christ. He has made a way for me to have access to God, and it is out of that that we work. It is out of that rest that we come to live out what he's called us to do. And so before we've even gotten into the first point, I just wanted to reestablish for you the fact that your faith is from God. And he has called you to it. And you can rest in that. Jesus has called you to be free. Okay, now let's get to the first point. What does that look like? What is the reason for our freedom? Number one, as we said, we are free to flee the sinful flesh. And so if you look at the second half of verse 13, he says this, Do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. The word flesh does not mean your skin and bones, right? What what it means is the sinful flesh. Our natural sinfulness. If you look at verse 17 that we're going to look at next week. He says, the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. So Paul wants to be sure the Galatians understand that the freedom they have in Christ is not a freedom to return to their sin, but a freedom to flee their sin. As I said, the Judaizers were probably hinting at this to the Galatians. Paul calls you to this freedom. What's going to stop you from indulging and using this freedom to do ungodly things? And there may be some of us in here who have thought that before. I'm free in Christ to do whatever I please. My freedom in Christ covers me. And that is all true. But what Paul is trying to get us to understand is that Christian freedom doesn't call us to please ourselves. Christian freedom is freedom to please God. 
It's because of what Jesus has done for you that you have now the opportunity to live for God. Without Christ, you have no opportunity to live for God. Outside of Christ, you cannot please God. And so what Paul is saying here is that in Christ, you are now free not to indulge your flesh, but to flee the, the, the sin that once enslaved you and to run to Christ, to run the race, to live the Christian life. Some versions say, do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. And that word for opportunity is a military term in the Greek that refers to a base of operations. And so what Paul is effectively saying is, don't let your Christian freedom be a diving board to splash back into the sea of sin that Jesus has set you free from. Christian freedom is not freedom to sin, but freedom from sin. So when we see Paul saying, don't use your freedom to indulge the flesh, don't use your freedom to, as a base of operations, really what we could say is don't abuse your freedom. To use your freedom in this way is to look at God and say, I'm going to misuse your gift for my own purposes. To view your freedom in Christ as a way to please your flesh is to say that the death you died, I'm going to use for my own personal gain. Paul deals with this issue in a lot of different places. One is in Romans 6, right? Where he, in Romans 5, he talks about justification. Romans 6, he says, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? You have died to sin. How can you live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism. Next week we're having two baptisms. That's what that represents. You are buried into his baptism in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we may too live a new life. So what Paul's saying here is your freedom is freedom to flee sin, not to return to it. As I thought about this week, um, I thought of the show Andy, the Andy Griffith Show. You know, I know most of the time that I quote movies and shows, I probably quote ones that you haven't seen. So I'm hoping this is one that we've seen. Okay, I'm, I'm pulling out a Neil card here. All right, I'm going to lay it down. Does anybody remember Otis from the Andy Griffith Show? I remember watching episodes of that show, not really understanding as a little kid, but more so now. You know, many of those episodes, it was seen where Otis would wake up in the morning and they'd let him out of, they'd let him out of jail. Then later in the episode... Stumbling drunk, Otis would return to jail, grab the key, and let himself in. Take night in the jail. And, you know, it's funny, and, and, and I understand the comedy behind it. But as I thought about that this week, to indulge the flesh as a response to Christian freedom is for us to let ourselves back into the jail that, that Christ has let us out of. To, to use our Christian freedom to indulge the sins of our flesh is to say, I'm going to let myself back in the prison that Christ has died to set me free from. As I think about this, I think about the, the Israelites. You remember when the Israelites, God brought them out of Egypt? We had the ten plagues. We had the, the Red Sea. This amazing work of of God freeing them from Israel. And may I say in passing that God freeing you from your sin is a greater miracle than God freeing the Israelites from Israel. But as they freed them from Israel, they go into the desert and, and Moses goes up on the mountaintop to receive the, the commandments from God. And what do the Israelites do? They say, Aaron, we need an idol. Make us a God. And what they do is they use the freedom God has, has given them to return to the habits of their bondage. Instead of praising God for setting them free, they return to the very habits that God had brought them out of Egypt to free them from. And so one thing that we need to remember, brothers and sisters, is that you are free from the sin in your life. You are free from the indulgence. Am I saying perfection? No, because next week we're going to see the flesh fights the spirit, and the spirit fights the flesh, but you are free to fight. 
You are free to flee. You are free to, to run from your sin and run towards Christ. You know, I read recently that towards the end of the series, the end of the Andy Griffith Show series, that they actually wrote the character Otis off the show. To return to this analogy for a moment. And the reason they wrote Otis off the show is because the writers and the sponsors began to realize that they were taking lightly a serious problem. They used Otis as a, as a, a, a comedy act, and what they realized later on is there's people really struggling with this, and so they wrote him off the show because they came to the realization there's a real problem here. And I don't know about you, but there's times in my life that God has to remind me that my sin is a real problem. I think oftentimes it's easy for us to laugh off or to joke off sin, which is debilitating and harmful to us. 1 Peter 2, this is, what, this is what Peter says about sin. And I hope you'll listen to this. He says, dear friends, that's what I, I want to appeal to you as friends, as brothers and sisters in Christ. Brothers and sisters in Christ, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires because they wage war against your soul. I've been in enough locker rooms and around enough groups to know the, 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 the conversations. I've, I've heard myself enough explain away my sin that it's just something that comes naturally to me. I've heard myself say before, well, Bryson, you're, you're a forgiven sinner. You're just an envious person. Or maybe for you it's just, I'm a, forgiven, I'm a forgiven sinner, I'm just an angry person. Or I'm just a lustful person. And what Jesus wants you to hear from this passage is that because sin comes naturally to you doesn't mean it's not waging war on your soul. It doesn't mean that God hasn't opened the door for you to flee from it. To view our natural sinful habits as seemingly untransformable or just who we are is to effectively abuse the freedom we have in Christ. As we read or sang earlier that song, There's Power in the Blood, the second verse caught me. Would you be free from your passion and pride? There's power in the blood. When we do this, when we, when we think of our sin as something that is, is just okay for us to continuously hold on to, we are allowing ourselves to be in bondage to the destructive sin that Christ has freed us from. So what are we to do with our freedom? We are to free, flee the sinful flesh, but I think we are to also run in a, a purposeful direction, which is to run into the arms of Christ. See yourself not as a slave to sin, but as a free to be a slave to righteousness. Allow yourself to be led by the Spirit. It's only when we rightly see the one who set us free that we will truly understand our freedom. See Jesus Christ as more pleasurable and more joyful and more perfect than your sin. Look to the one who bought your freedom as the prize and run to him. You are free to rest in the work of Christ. You are free to enjoy God and approach God with confidence. You are free to be God's obedient child. You are free to be sure of your salvation. You are free to love God because in Christ he has freed you to. You are free to live. So do not run back to bondage. Run into the loving, freeing arms of Christ. And so now as we look at that, what is it? look like to, to live as free? What does it look like to be a slave of righteousness? Number two, we are free to fulfill the law of love. We are free to fulfill the law of love. So Paul has given us this negative, right? Don't indulge the flesh. Now he switches to this positive and he says, serve one another humbly in love. One interesting thing about this phrase is that the term for servant in the Greek is actually douleuo, which means to be a slave, so what Paul is effectively saying is that you are free to be a slave to one another. This is confusing to me as well, so I, I go to John Stott for help. John Stott says this, It is a remarkable paradox, for from one point of view of Christian freedom is a form of slavery, not slavery to our flesh, but to our neighbor. We are free in relation to God, but slaves in relation to each other. 
So if we look at verse 14, Paul relates this loving service back to the law of God. And this is what he says. Verse 14, the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. It's like Paul is telling the Judaizers, if you want a law, here's the law. Love one another. (laughs) You're so based around this law. Here's the law. In Christ, you are free to be a slave to other Christians. You are free to be a slave of love. You are free to fulfill the law in Christ. And so what he's stating here is for the Christian to be free is to rightly relate to the law by allowing it to show us how we can honor and please God. Rather than the law being something we try to keep in order to make ourselves right with God, it is something we want to keep because Christ has made us right with God. When we rightly relate to the the law of God, it is not something we use to get to God. It is something we use after we've come to Christ to please God. This isn't just a shift in position, but it's a shift in desire. God, through the Holy Spirit, shifts our desires so that we now desire to serve others and love others and keep his moral law, not out of obligation, but out of an expression of God's love for us. In Romans 13, Paul is speaking about this reality. He says, starting in verse 8, he says, Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. The commandments, and we know these, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And whatever other command there may be are summed up in this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to neighbor, therefore love is the fulfillment of the law. Now this change of viewing the law in this way, of viewing our lives in this way, will only take place when we truly recognize where our freedom has come from. Because we as people are very quick to hold on to what is ours. I'm not quick to let things go. If I've earned it, I bought it with my own money, it's mine. Except for now, everything's Charlie's. But it used to be mine. Okay. When I thought about this, I thought about my dad when we lived in Indiana. My dad's a pastor. When we lived in Indiana, he ran a preschool out of the church he pastored. Don't get any ideas. And one day, during free time, there was a kid playing under the big table in the room. And he wasn't letting anybody else under the table with him. And so my dad went over and said, hey, buddy, like, you've got to let people play under there with you. He says, no, this is my fort. You know how kids are. This is my fort. And my dad said, well, you have to share your fort. And the boy said, no, I don't. I pay taxes on it. (laughs) I don't know where he's heard that before, but I'm guessing mom and dad have had that conversation. And here we see the natural inclination of man. It's mine. It's my life. It's my freedom. It's my response. Everything is mine. If I bought it, if I paid for it, it's mine. Well, here's the rub, church. Your life is not yours because you didn't pay for it. Christ did. The Christian is the only one who cannot say my life is my own. The Christian is the only one who must say, I was, as 1 Corinthians 6 says, I was purchased with a price. My, my body, my life is not my own. I belong fully to Jesus Christ. And so now, the freedom that we have in being bought by Christ is to now live in the freedom to serve and to love others the way that he has always intended that we would. Tim Keller, who I mentioned earlier, says the gospel does free you to live in any way you want. This is it. Please get this. The gospel does free you to live in any way you want. But if you truly understand through the gospel who Jesus is and what he has done for you, then you will ask, how can I live for him? And the answer will be, look at the will of God expressed in the law. The gospel frees us from the law for the law It does away with our old selfishly motivated and unloving obedience, and it motivates us to obey the law out of love. We as Christians should desire to obey God because we just love him so much. 
If you truly understand how destructive your sin is, and you truly understand the weight of what God has done for you, it will drive you to obedience to him, and that will drive you to love those around you. In 1 Corinthians 9, Paul says, I'm free. I belong to no one. I have made myself, though, a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. He goes on to say, To the Jews I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law I became like the one under the law, so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law I became like one not having the law, though I am not free from God's law but am under Christ's law, so as to win those not having the law. To the weak I became weak to win the weak. I have become all things to all people, so that by all possible means I, have, I might save some. I do all this for the sake of the gospel that I may share in its blessings. Your freedom is not something to try and hold and grasp onto for yourself. It is something that to be used to draw others to the one who set you free. And I want you to know, Christian, that God has placed in you this desire. It says also in 1 Corinthians that God has poured his spirit out in you For this purpose. You, whether you recognize it or not, have a deep desire to please God. And when you you run from that, you are fighting yourself. It's already in there. God has promised that. Your greatest desire and greatest joy is in doing God's will because he has set it on your heart to do so. God has taken the law and he's written it on your heart. And he's given you his spirit so that you may live it out for the sake of others. That is where the Christian finds their joy in freedom, is in freedom to serve God and to serve others. As I think about VBS tonight, many words come to mind. Exhausting, frustrating, testing, but also fulfilling. Because God has set it on our heart to preach the gospel to these little kids who are going to be in here so that they can know that they can have freedom. Christian freedom loves us, frees us to love God and to love others and to fulfill the law of love. Lastly, we are free to form grace-centered community. We are free to form grace-centered community. So look at verse 15. Paul gives us a startling image of what it looks like not to live out verses 13 and 14. Verse 15, he says, If you bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. As we move to verse 15, what we see is Paul states here that the churches and the bodies of believers who do not serve one another in love will devour one another in pride. One commentator states, all three verbs used by Paul to describe this unholy civil war on one another, biting and devouring, consuming, were bywords commonly used in Hellenistic Greek to suggest wild animals engaged in a deadly struggle. And so I want us to notice that Paul doesn't say that the solution to a poor community life is to just not have community life. Paul doesn't say, hey, don't bite and devour each other, just do things on your own. When you're called to Christ, you're called to community. You're called to live out your faith amongst one another. So he doesn't say that. He says, he seems to be warning the the Galatians as a whole, do not return to a place, if you do not return to a place of mutual surrender to the grace of God, For your right standing before God, then the legalistic self-righteousness will destroy you. For lack of a better term, sinful legalism is just as harmful to the church as sinful license. For For us to look at others legalistically is just as harmful to the church as for us to live in license. Why? Because it gets our eyes and our hearts off of the one who gives us our freedom. We become a church not centered on grace. If we go back to Galatians 4, and I'll end with this because I know my time's running short. If, if we go back to Galatians 4, we see Paul speaking 
of the dangers of this work-based legalism. If you have your Bibles, I'd like you to go ahead and turn back to Galatians 4 if you don't mind. Galatians 4, verse, beginning in verse 13. Paul is talking about the first time he came to Galatia, Galatia, and he says this. As you know, verse 13, it was because of an illness that I first preached the gospel to you. And even though my illness was a trial to you, you did not treat me with contempt or scorn. Instead, you welcomed me as if I were an angel of God, as if I were Christ Jesus himself. Where then is your blessing of me now? I can testify that if you could have done so, you would have torn your eyes out and given them to me. Look at what he says in verse 13 through 15. When I first came and I preached the gospel to you, what was their response? They didn't ask for money from Paul. They didn't ask for for anything else. They said, preach the gospel to us and we will take care of you. Paul preached grace and they did what? They showed grace. They showed him community. They showed him what Christian community is meant to be. And then look at verse 16. He says, Now, have I now become your enemy by telling you the truth? So something has shifted. Something has happened. They now look at Paul, and instead of remembering him and and, and loving him in community, what they're doing is they're attacking him. They're falling away from the message. He says, What have I done? What has changed? What has changed that Paul... And the Galatians now do not see eye to eye. We get the answer in verse 17. Those people, the Judaizers, are zealous to win you over, but for no good. What they want is to alienate you from us so that you may have zeal for them. What shifts a community of believers from a community to an enmity is when that community of believers shifts their eyes from Christ to themselves. So what Paul's saying here is, how do you not bite and devour one another? How do you not live in this destructive form of community? You must live in community remembering the grace of Jesus Christ. By showing the grace of Jesus Christ. We must have Christ formed in us, and we must always remember grace This is not easy, church. Every ounce of me wants to celebrate me, naturally. I've been playing with Charlie lately, and he's been wanting to play baseball, and I'm like, "Mm." yes, you know. And I already feel myself when we're, he's got a pretty good swing, right? See, it's coming out in me already. I start to feel myself when I'm tossing him balls, wanting to pull my phone out, video him, so that I can put it online, so that somebody will say, Bryson, you have a son who's really good at baseball, so that I can feel good about myself. Now, I'm not saying don't celebrate your kids. What I am saying is, in me, I know, just like in you, there is a strong desire to elevate ourselves, even if it means through our kids. I want people to tell me that Charlie is just the sweetest boy he have ever met. He's such as cute as a button. And people say, he's cute and he looks like you, which is just double good, right? I desire that naturally. And and it's not bad for people to compliment me. I, I hope that they compliment him. But what is going to keep Charlie in line with the community of believers is for for mom and dad to remember that Charlie is a sinner in need of a savior, just like every other kid in this church. What keeps us in community is that we take our eyes off ourselves and put them on Jesus. One more Charlie story and I'll be done. Last night we were saying our prayers. And uh, we do that pretty much every night. And I said, you know, we're trying to get him to do it on his own. And I said, all right, Charlie, let's pray. And I said, Charlie, today... Dear God, he said, dear God, I said, thank you, thank you. And he said, what do you want to thank God for? And he said, he died on the cross. And I thought to myself, always keep that in the forefront of your mind. He doesn't understand what he's saying now, but hopefully one day he will. And for us, church, what can we do? Always remember 
that Jesus died on the cross, and he's the one who's called you to freedom. And it's in that freedom we are free to form grace-centered community. So as we close, let's think about this. The first question we need to ask, and I want to ask you this, are you free? Are you free? Because the truth is there's only one way to freedom, and it's through the cross of Christ. Your effort can't make you free. Your family heritage can't make you free. Your church attendance can't make you free. Your parents' faith can't make you free. There is only freedom found in faith in Christ Jesus and his work on your behalf. So you must ask yourself the question, am I free? And then secondly, if you answer the first question, yes, I am. And then secondly, are you using or are you abusing your freedom? I'll return to a catechism, um, this time the Westminster Catechism, which was written a long time ago. And it says this, question number one, what is the chief end of man? What is man's greatest end? Right? What is the purpose? What is the chief end of man? Some of us may say, I may say, to pursue personal happiness. That's not the answer it gives. To be physically safe, that's not the answer it gives. To make good grades and get into college for you, you young people. That's not what it says. It says the chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. This is what your freedom makes possible. You are free to glorify God now, to enjoy him now, and ultimately to enjoy him forever. That is Christian freedom. Let's pray. Lord, we love you, and uh, we thank you for this. We thank you for the opportunity to be free, Lord, to be free from our own sin, Lord, to be free from the shackles of our, of our flesh, Lord, and be free to live in the Spirit in the enjoyment of you forever. Lord, as I think about my own life, I, I, I pray that you would continue to peel back in me the, the, the layers of my own sin. Lord, continue to reveal to me the areas of my life that I am free to flee and to run out of, Lord. And for, for us in here as a community, Lord, as a community of believers, that we would remember that we are free because of you. Lord, we are free through you, Lord, and we are free to live to please you. Lord, keep our hearts and minds set on that freedom at all times, knowing that that freedom is the greatest joy that we can live in, Lord, and it is to glorify you. Here, let me pray. Amen. As we close, um, if you have any decisions to make, anything you need to talk about, you come forward as we sing.
for just a moment. Um, we're going to do one more thing before we leave. I'm going to ask Tracy Grissett if she would come forward. I've asked her to lead this, but if, you'll, if, you, are, <clears throat> if you are helping with VBS, you will be here physically on campus. If you would stand up, I just want to have a time for, of prayer um, for VBS to close the service. So don't be shy. Giles, will you lead? Okay. If you are helping with VBS, and uh, there's some here that are not here that, that will be helping as well, but I just want to have a time to pray over our leaders for VBS. Um, I just feel very burdened that uh, we want VBS to be God-centered, and we want it to be God-glorifying. We don't want to put on just a good event. Um, we want to see lives changed, and so that's what we're going to pray for as we close the service. So if you would pray with us, Ms. Tracy's going to lead us in, in, uh, in prayer. Let's pray. Dear Father, I just want to lift up this week of Vacation Bible School to you. Um, I pray that you would be with all of the workers who are going to support this ministry, um, that you would just um, help us to work our faith and love this week. I pray that you would bless us all with energy and wisdom. I pray that you would give us creati creativity and compassion. Um, I pray that you would be with all of the kids who are going to participate this weekend with their families, that they can grow in faith, that you would just open their hearts um, to see that. And I pray for some that they would grow in the first faith of salvation. Um, I pray that you would just be and move in us this week. Help us to share your love that you've given us. And I pray that people will just know that they are loved by you. Um, and I just thank you again for this opportunity that we have to serve. Amen. Stand, we'll sing the doxology together. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures. Some of you guys want to come help move stuff. That would be awesome. Everybody have a great week. We'll see you at 6.